Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. everybody and welcome uh, to a brand new episode of the geek buddies hey, hey. That works. you know what god god love that little geeky pun spouting leprechaun it's never the same without him it isn't it we just isn't. we don't we never quite have the magic we need that daddy joke energy for damn sure here on the show but unfortunately uh mr shannon mcclong will not be joining us today he is in parts unknown uh well it is known to the to the modern world but uh, he's certainly having a good time he's been sending us some fantastic pictures of him and his lady love they're out in some beautiful locations around the world he will be back hopefully sometime next week depending on how we schedule the show next week but that's the plan but this is the geek buddies for today we should introduce ourselves i am the outlaw john roker writer producer host here on the channel i am michael vogel a writer and producer of animated tv shows and movies and what's going on what's the promotion what do you got to i mean look you can see me here every week on the geek buddies and you can see Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City, currently okay. airing its third season on YouTube. Seasons one and two are on YouTube and Netflix. And you can also see Strawberry's bigger CG adventures on Netflix with Strawberry <laughs> Shortcake, Beast of Barry Bog, and Strawberry Shortcake's Perfect Holiday with two more seasonal CG specials coming later this year, only on Netflix. See, there you go. Great promotion. I appreciate that. Definitely. You all should check it out on netflix for sure netflix acquiring all kinds of content here uh and of course i'm getting ready for love is blind which starts in just a few days about 12 days so i'm getting ready to put wow. myself in pass for that uh but no listen uh we got a lot talking we're gonna get into harry potter news we're gonna get into some uh news with avatar the last airbender the series that is coming to netflix we're also going to get into some trailers here and talk about all the dc updates including millie alcock and supergirl and more stuff that has broken through the week here with uh, James Gunn's approach and moving stuff around on the DC calendar. But sadly, we have to start with something that just broke as we were about to record, literally minutes before we were about to record. But sadly, we must report on the show the passing of Grief Karga himself, the great Carl Weathers. Uh, Apollo Creed, so many great characters he's played through the years, passed away suddenly in his sleep. At 76 years old, his family announced his passing, saying we are deeply saddened to announce the passing of Carl Weathers. He died peacefully in his sleep on Thursday, February 1st. Carl was an exceptional human being who lived an extraordinary life through his contributions to film, TV, the arts, and sports. He has left an indelible mark and is recognized worldwide and across generations. He was a beloved brother, father, grandfather, partner. Uh, and friend you know he'd recently as you see from the picture there had been part of the mandalorian series and sadly michael this is the second 
actor of note passing away from a Star Wars series. But of course, as we said, multiple things. He was in the Toy Story franchise. He had Action Jackson back in the 1980s, Predator, all the Rocky movies, and assorted on and Happy Gilmore as well, and assorted other TV shows that he was a part of. But a truly sad loss, brother, at 76 years old. Relatively young for uh, age expectations nowadays, but uh, what a tough loss, man. What's your thoughts on, on Carl Weathers and his passing? Yeah, it's always a shame when somebody goes before uh, before you were expecting them to go. Yeah. And, uh, and the whole passing away peacefully in your sleep just freaks me out. I just don't <laughs> love it. I really? I want some warning. I want, oh, he wasn't doing great. He went to the hospital. Like, passing away in your sleep is always like, uh, just came out of left field. But, mm. you know, I mean, we talk about this a lot. People who die before their time. People yeah. who led a really full life. Look, he led a really full life. Absolutely. And I think that, yeah. you know, when you see an actor like Carl Weathers, who was so huge yeah. in the movies uh, of, of our childhood. Yes. Um, yeah. Who was who was so prevalent in the movies of the 80s and then the 90s. And then, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't say ever fully went away, yeah. but sort of, you know, kind of wasn't doing as much and then to come back in something as big as the Mandalorian and not just playing grief cargo, but also directing episodes like very, very involved in sort of this thing that's uh, that shot a bunch of energy into the star Wars franchise. Yeah. And I think yeah. was generally really liked in the role and really uh, people really enjoyed him. So yeah. I'm glad that he was working up until the very end. I'm glad I he sort of got to do what he loved throughout his life. And I'm glad that we have uh the Rocky movies, mm. Commando, Predator, Toy Story, uh, everything. Yeah. I mean, four stages of the man's career, right? Establishing himself in the 1970s through a number of TV shows that I grew up watching. A lot of us grew up watching on reruns and what have you. And then found, and then into the Rocky movie, which is really where he la was launched into the stratosphere as a name. And by the way, a best picture winner of a movie that he was a part of and a very big part of going into Rocky 2, going into Rocky 3, and of course, sadly passing away in Rocky 4, so definitely staying prevalent, and then moving on to headline one of the classic action movies from the 1980s in Action Jackson, then finding new life in comedy with Adam Sandler in the 90s with that Happy Gilmore movie, and then, you know, kind of uh, bubbling up every once in a while, showing up in certain spots, certain moments, and then bang, showing up here in Star Wars, kind of a new renaissance for him as he became an older actor, and people loved his performance and he currently has a campaign right now for the super bowl with rob gronkowski where he is coaching him to kick a field goal for i think uh, two million dollars or a million dollars or whatever for some lucky fans so it's all sad on so many levels because he was still working but michael said it best there the fact that he was still working as shows the endurance of his talent and he was a great social media follow always promoting positivity always promoting people coming together, always calling out people who are going too far in certain ways. And so a, a very good-hearted man from what you uh, remember and following him and what you saw recently there on social media as well. So, yeah, um, yeah, just, just a massive part of my childhood too, man. I mean, Apollo yeah. Creed, and of course we have the Creed movies, which are all yeah. out his character from Rocky, right, Mike? No, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, like, not that he's in the Creed movies, but the way that Rocky sort of... Uh... Uh, continued the franchise yep. was yep. in the shadow of his character. I mean, that yep. is what the Creed movies are literally about. So, no, I mean, it's it's very, very sad. And like I said, 76. Yeah. The older you get, the younger 76 sounds. <laughs> that's a good point. That's, that's, that's what I'm going to say point. about that. <laughs> yeah, well, 
Well, we send, of course, our condolences and our thoughts of comfort and love to his family and to all of you who are fellow fans uh, in his loss. Uh, in whatever iteration you love of Carl Weathers, uh, it's sad to see him go, but of course, leaving a fantastic legacy uh, as an actor in our world. Uh, no easy way to transition, but uh, we must. So, uh, Michael, I think uh, you've got our first topic here for the show. I do. Some of you love it. Some of you want nothing to do with it, but Hogwarts is coming back to a small screen near you. Um, a lot of news bubbling up about this new Harry Potter television series that is being produced for Max. Uh, it is getting closer to naming its creative leader uh, per deadline um, that the shortlist is now down to just three names. And according to Deadline, again, they're hearing that succession writer Francesca Gardner is among the finalists to get the job of adapting the J.K. Rowling books to the yep. Mac streaming platform. Um, she's one of three writers that are currently be being considered to bring Harry and Hermione and Ron and the whole gang to the small screen. Yeah. Apparently three writers are currently... Uh, off in parts unknown pitching to jk rowling and that jk rowling is you know very involved in the process of figuring this out um whether warner brothers and max want it or not you can't really do a harry potter movie or tv series and not get uh jk's approval so she's very involved in what the choices are going to be and i am sure that you know max definitely has this on the fast track and so we're going to be hearing a lot more about this uh, in the upcoming months, and we're going to get a lot more detail on exactly what this is going to be because everyone yeah. is kind of curious. We've got the books. We've got the movies, which, again, if you're still a fan of Harry Potter, did a pretty solid job. Yeah. So what this series is going to be and how it is going to breathe potentially new blood into the Wizarding world is something that everyone is very, very curious to hear about yeah. uh johnny what are your thoughts well it's a fascinating when you look at the list right with with you start off with francesca francesca uh has a, a interesting credits to her name uh, francesca gardner because she was the executive producer on his dark materials uh and uh, was a co-executive producer on killing eve which is a fantastic show she's also written on shows like the rook and the man in the high castle so these are much more mature adult oriented um deeper shows that she has written on here and then you throw in the other people that are in contention martha hiller for who was working who worked on the last kingdom kathleen jordan who did teenage bounty hunters tom moran who did the devil's hour which came out i think a year and a half ago there uh with peter capaldi and michael leslie the hunger games the ballad of songbirds and snakes so what what the consistent um feeling is that all is that all of these writers are writers of weight and heft and explore these darker themes within their work so it seems to me they're not approaching this from a place of like let's make it as like connectable and easy and mainstream as possible they're going for really exploring the darker edges of the harry potter universe and the stuff that's always been a part of the harry potter universe but sometimes too much sometimes people have defaulted to focusing on just the happy spots there's a lot of darkness within it so i like that that's an element it seems to be that's an element of what they're looking for from the showrunners coming forward. I love the idea, Francesca, especially coming off succession to essentially look at another family within a house and how they work together, Michael. Which of these writers stands out to you or do you have any thoughts on these writers overall? I don't know that any of them stand out to me. I mean, okay. I'm just going to be really curious to see what the take is. I think that you are correct that they're definitely aiming for something. Look, we're about to talk about this. 
uh, it's going to come up in our discussion about Avatar. But when yeah. you're adapting something that's a beloved children's property, yeah. um, even though it's something that's beloved by people, many people that are no longer children, like something that is very yeah. beloved, but started off as a younger aged property. Yeah. And you are wanting to get those streaming viewers. Uh, you got to do more than just making something for kids. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of people out there right now that would say what Disney Plus did with Percy Jackson kind of skews on the younger side. Mm -hmm. And I think that what the uh, creators of the Avatar live action series on Netflix are saying, which we're about to talk about, yeah. uh, is that they needed to find that balance. And I think that that's what they're trying to do with Harry Potter right now. I mean, look, yeah. here's the thing. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of you guys uh, that are listening right now that like just want Harry Potter to go away and never come back because <laughs> of your feelings about JK Rowling, which is completely valid and fair. Yeah. And then there's a lot of people that really do love Harry Potter and wish that it could continue on without JK Rowling, which, is just not gonna happen anytime soon. Right. And then there's people that still really love the universe. And for those that really love the universe and that are excited about the potential of more Harry Potter, I think that going in a darker direction, you know, the movies are by and large for people who love Harry Potter, really good. Yeah. But a, mo a two hour movie does not cover everything that's in any of those books. Yeah. Um, there is a ton of stuff in all of those books that never made it to the screen. Um, and so there's a ton of, there's a ton of scenes, there's a ton of plot lines, there's a ton of relationship stuff that you can really explore on in a series. And so it'll be interesting to see if they, if they get it right or if they don't. Mm. Um, but it is also very clear given a couple other announcements this week that, uh, nobody has any intention of letting Harry Potter go <laughs> anytime soon. Yeah. Um, because although I'm sad to talk about this without our resident Universal employee, Shannon McClung, sure. uh, present. But Universal has released a ton of information about Epic Universe, their brand new theme park that is going to be opening next year in Orlando. Yeah, now, Epic Universe, I believe is about the size of Universal Studios and Islands of Adventure combined. It is a massive park. Think about um, that. And, it, and it is made up of... Uh, Five lands, the first land, the name is escaping me, but it's the celestial celestial, yeah, so, yeah, right. celestial entranceway or whatever. It's kind of the entranceway that has some rides, but then they've got uh, How to Train Your Dragon, Burke Island. They've got a dark universe with all of Universal's monsters. Yeah. They've got a much bigger Super Mario World than we have here in Los Angeles uh, that will include a Donkey Kong ride. And then they have a Harry Potter land, their third Harry Potter land in Orlando, this one based around the Ministry of Magic. So in addition to the Wizarding World in Universal Studios Hollywood, the Wizarding World in uh, Islands of Adventure, and Diagon Alley in Universal Studios Florida, we are now going to have a third Harry Potter section with a third Harry Potter ride, in addition to Universal Movie Monsters, more Mario, and a How to Train Your Dragon ride. So. I already know when I see Johnny, the seven minute video that is on YouTube that sort of outlines what the park is going to have. Johnny got very excited about the potential of us going to this park. Uh, so John, what do you think about this park? First of all, yeah. what do you think about Universal doubling down on Harry Potter? Is it a smart move given the fact that a lot of the fans are waning or is Harry Potter here to stay? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's absolutely here to stay. I mean, you only need to look at last year, 2023, the number one selling game was the Harry Potter Hogwarts legacy game. Like that doesn't tell you that people are outside, you know, the certain bubble of people who are aware of these issues 
care about this kind of stuff, clearly, because they have no problem buying the game and being part of it. I think this has been a planned out thing for quite some time, maybe since Zaslav took over here, which has been a while now. It hasn't. It wasn't like a few months ago. It's been a while now that Zaslav's been in charge, and he made it very clear coming in that the IP, they have to focus on elevating the IP again. They have all this great IP. They've got to do more. So I imagine, you know, having worked myself at Universal Studios for a couple of years and been uh, had conversations with newer executives who are part of it and creating lands. I have a couple of friends who work in uh, um, um, companies that create lands over the seas for these parks. Like, that once they put this, they have been working on this for quite some time and putting this together. So clearly this is all like what you call, you would know this, Mike, working in those companies, synergistic effort here to have multiple things coming out at the same time. So each one feeds the popularity of the other and make sure everyone takes advantage of it with the timing. This looks incredible. I watched a seven minute video and I was nothing but jazzed thinking about going there and seeing it. Because remember us going to the Harry Potter land Years ago for a wedding, after a wedding, was the reason I ended up applying to work at Harry Potter Land, in, or the Wizarding World, rather, at Universal Studios Hollywood, and had some uh, nice times over those two years. So seeing the expansion here, where they're talking about the British Ministry of Magic, they're talking about the street scenes in France, that makes me super excited, because when you go to the Harry, we go to the Wizarding World in Orlando, it is immersive. It's not like Hollywood, where you can see other things like you literally immersed in it and seeing the video and the images that got there makes me feel even more excited to even dive deeper into the immersion of the experience so i think it's brilliant it's smart it's not going anywhere and not enough people care about jk rowling's opinions on certain subjects to i think stop this juggernaut from going forward well at the risk of um poking a hornet's nest that's just gonna get us in trouble um (laughs) what why do you think Harry Potter endures, mm. despite the fact that most people, I think even people who really love Harry Potter, a lot yeah. of people are just kind of like over J.K. Rowling and a lot sure. of opinions. Sure. And how should people who, look, like I said, mm. there is a section of listeners right now who are like, I don't even like that you're talking about Harry Potter. I don't want to hear anymore about Harry Potter. Screw yeah. Harry Potter. Screw J.K. Rowling. There's better stuff out there to read. Go read yeah. Fourth Wing, which is valid. <laughs> but for the people that, but for the people that, really still have a soft spot for Harry Potter, but really yeah. are challenged with J.K. Rowling. Like, where? how do you think you navigate? How do you navigate all that? I, I know your opinions. I know you don't yeah. agree with J.K. Rowling. So no. how do you navigate that? I think there's a bigger picture and a bigger message that Harry Potter represents. And I think that's what people kind of have their own negotiation with, right? We're, all, we're Lately, over the last few decades, Mike, we've really had to confront separating the art from the artist, right? And and you look at these things. And look, I'm not, and, and we've seen this, right? Like, there are people who... Uh, hate what Woody Allen has done, but they still own his movies. There are people who hate what Harvey Weinstein did, but they're not throwing out their Miramax films. So it's like, and he made those films happen. Don't fool yourself. He was an executive producer who made those films happen. So it's those things that I think we all have our own negotiation with it. For me, it is having been in the land, it is seen what this property does to people, having people cry in the rooms where I was doing the Wand Keeper show having people really speak about their love of Harry Potter after the show, pull me aside to talk to me about it. Those are those experiences where I really understood what this uh, property represents to a lot of people. So yes, they feel the uncomfortableness, but just like a family, you have that asshole uncle, you're still part of the family and it's the family that matters more. And I feel like that's how people approach this or make or come to terms with it is that the message of this is much more, which is about acceptance, by the way, is much more important than what the creator is saying 
over here on the side. So it's just a, a matter of having to come to terms with it for your own self. Um, uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. I often think about the fact that um, I really love Disney. And I'm right. Not gonna and, I, and I don't think I'd be inviting Walt Disney to my Hanukkah party. Mm hmm. So, yes. yeah. yeah, it is. I think that it is a I think it's a thing that's going to keep happening. I think that the longer yeah. the longer that we go and the more that we have social media and the more that we have sort of all of these creators having direct access, uh, you know, you and I were just texting the other day about uh, True Detective. Yes. And, right. uh, and you know, like, yeah. and yes, opinions, opinions on season four of True Detective. And I just think that across the board, the more that people have access to say whatever they think, the more people are going to say some really stupid shit. So that <laughs> yeah. finding that distinction between the artist and the uh, art is definitely something that I have a feeling we are going to continue to struggle with. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's certainly now a lot of people who are pro wrestling fans are really coming to terms with how to deal with Vince McMahon because of some of those allegations that, that have come out that are really abhorrent. But like, how are you, I mean, do, do you erase all those decades that you, that you grew up enjoying these wrestlers that influence you? So you have to now come to terms with that in some way. So it's going across the way. And I'm obviously not comparing the views to what Vince did. I'm just saying it's relative in terms of people having to separate the yeah. art from the artist. So, yeah. Um, well, well, we'll see. I'll tell you what, we are going to be continuing to talk about Yes. Harry Potter, because it is going to continue to be a major thing. And we will hopefully be, uh, you know, if Johnny has his way, we're going to give you some live coverage as the Geek Buddies uh, review review the new theme park. But yeah. we will definitely be keeping tabs on this new series. So we will to be continued. Putting it out into the universe. Any of you who work at Universal Studios Orlando, maybe you want to help us get a leg up. We want to go, the three <laughs> of us. If only, if only we knew somebody. If only we had a buddy. We knew somebody. Yeah, if exactly. only we had a buddy who worked at Universal Studios that we could talk to. Ooh, shake some trees. We'll see. Um, all right. Well, let's take a break and we'll jump into some stuff uh, with Avatar The Last Airbender right after this. Hello, Geek Buddies fans. Before we jump into today's episode, let's give a warm thank you to our sponsor, Marquee TV. Their support is why we're able to bring this podcast to you. Marquee TV isn't just any streaming service. They're your gateway to an incredible world of arts and culture. That's right, Johnny. I've explored Marquee TV, and I've been amazed by their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. It is a treasure trove for any arts and culture lover. Right now, I'm in the middle of watching the Royal Shakespeare Company's production of The Tempest, and I've also got my eye on that Shakespeare masterclass taught by Dame Judi Dench. Yeah, Shannon, and speaking of the RSC, I watched Christopher Eccleston's performance of Macbeth last night, and I'm going to jump into Kit Harington's performance of Henry V from the Donmar Warehouse. Imagine having the world's most breathtaking ballets, dramatic theater productions, and magical operas at your fingertip. That's the experience Marquee TV offers, making the arts accessible wherever you are. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents that's right three months for only 99 cents with the code buddies b-u-d-d-i-e-s simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code buddies to dive into the world of arts like never before bring the arts home with marquee tv get three months for just 99 cents visit marquee.tv to start your journey into the world of arts now use code buddies explore the extensive library of performances on marquee tv today and keep up with the latest in art streaming by following at marquee tv on social media as a podcast network our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you but we also sell merch and organizing that was made both possible and easy with shopify 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. And Shannon is not here, so you oh, get a right. song. You mm, just get my voice. I don't Welcome know that. To Geek song. Buddies and this commercial break brought to you by Geek Buddies. There you go. And we're back. All right. Let's get into this thing. I'm going to bring up the image here. Avatar The Last Airbender. A lot of conversations happening now um, around how they're approaching this uh, with showrunner Albert Kim and other people involved in the production here. Uh, in an interview with, Alan, with the Entertainment Weekly, Soka actor Ian Ousley and Qatar actress Kia Wintio talked about how the character's init- Soka's initial attitudes towards women, for example, expecting his sister Qatar to handle domestic chores, might not play as well outside of animation. They're changing some approaches here, Michael. Kiwintio uh, said, I feel like we also took out the element of how sexist Soka was. I feel like there were a lot of moments in the original show that were iffy. Uh, Owsley, who's the character playing Soka, agreed, said, yeah, totally. There are things that were redirected just because it might play a little differently in live action. In the initial, in the original show, rather, Soka starts to grow out of his initial attitudes after encountering, power, encountering powerful women like the Kiyoshi warrior. So, Michael, this is the first section of this Avatar interview, and we'll get to a second section here. But what are your thoughts here and their approaches to the character of Soka? I see some people online we're pushing back on this saying the whole point is that he learns he has to start at this place to go on this character arc blah 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 and then other people countering hey that was 15 years ago attitudes have changed uh you know uh, me too movement all of that uh so what are your thoughts here as the uh, as, as a person who's involved as a showrunner but also a person who's been executive producer on these uh subject matters and bringing something like strawberry shortcake to new life what are your thoughts when you hear these comments about how they're approaching soka it's interesting because I think that when I first heard uh, some of those quotes, I had the same reaction that a lot of like I've, a lot of the fans 
of the series have had online where I'm like, well, that's who Sokka is. Like, that's that's the point is that he's very much like, this is what I think about women. And then he meets the Kyoshi warriors. He goes on this journey and he really does evolve as a character. So are you getting rid of that? Are we just being a little bit too overly sensitive? Like all of those thoughts flowed in my head. But and this is kind of, you know, my feeling about a lot of what we're about to talk to is mm. a talk about is you don't know until you know. Right. They've got a really hard job, as we were just talking about with the Harry Potter stuff, like taking a beloved kid's story and bringing it to streaming in this day and age. You're not just making a show for kids. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're making something that you want. You want that Mandalorian audience. Like the reason that Disney Plus is giving us a Mandalorian movie and rushing it to theaters is because the Star Wars community who never agrees about shit all pretty much love Din Djarin and Grogu. That's true. And and true. not just the Star Wars fans. Non-Star Wars fans were yeah. like, I love this show. This is great for me. So they got that massive audience that isn't just geek. It's geek and geek uh, adjacent. next to geek adjacent thing. I was like, what the fuck is that word? Geek adjacent. <laughs> um, and then non-geeks. Like, yeah. you know, Mandalorian is a show that your mom texted you about and was like, I don't know a lot about Star Wars, but that little Yoda sure is cute. What do I need to know? Like, it, that's what they want. And so that's what this Harry Potter, when you look at those writers that they're choosing for that, and that's what this Avatar audience is dealing with, the, the, the Avatar team is dealing with. And so to do that, you do have to update some things. You do have to adjust some things. The proof is going to be in the pudding. Yeah. Like, if we watch this show and Sokka doesn't feel like Sokka, and he's not that interesting and he's kind of a boring character and we don't really know what to do with him. And we're like, wow, it would have been a lot more interesting if he had an arc where he didn't think women were that powerful and then he had this whole thing happen. Then we're gonna say, yeah, they probably missed the boat and maybe we're being a little too hypersensitive. But if they've just sort of made everything a little bit more mature and given Sokka as a character more to play with and give and really like looked at him as a character and said, okay, this is who he is. He's he he's a non-bender. He's on this journey. He's kind of a comic relief. He's got these things going on. How do we adapt that and give the audience something new and different? If they can create something that hardcore Avatar fans are like, oh, okay, this isn't what exactly was in the series, but it feels right. Yeah. And new audiences are like, oh, I love this Sokka character. Then they'll have succeeded. So I think they need a little bit of a window to show us what they've done right. before we all freak out based on a couple comments that they changed some stuff. Um, yeah. But I, but I, but all of that being said, my initial reaction when I read that stuff was like, uh, no, like that's part of his arc. So I do get, <laughs> I do get that concern because that was my initial reaction. Then I was like, okay, wait, let, let's let's see what they did. Right. But there's more stuff to talk about, as you are about to tell us. Yeah, there is. A, and just to wrap up that section, Albert Kim, the, the showrunner here, said, there are certain roles that I think Katarik did in the cartoon that we didn't necessarily also do here. I mean, I don't want to really get into all of that, but some gender issues that didn't quite translate from the cartoon. And I think you're right. We have to see how they framed it, because they because Albert also said that they're focusing much more on the family trauma for Sokka, that it's about his parents yeah. uh, and, the, and, and the situation that's going around that. So he's going to be much more focused on that instead of you know, using him as some garbage. But I also think they shouldn't be afraid. I mean, we saw in Game of Thrones, right? Jamie Lannister in that first few episodes, one of the most despicable people. By the end, people were mad that he was killed off being with the wrong woman. So it's just these things where you can take a character on a journey. And I wonder if maybe they were afraid that for people who maybe didn't see the animated series, new fans who'd be discovering for the first time, 
they would hate this character or the or the young actor might get some online abuse for playing a character like this that was sexist. Uh, and then like they wouldn't give it time to see the journey it was going on, which is a danger nowadays, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah but I mean, I think you bring up a good point and I, and this ties into some of the other stuff we're about mm. to talk about. But, you know, I mean, some there's certain things in Avatar because it was a Nickelodeon show that was right. sort of touched on but not really delved into yeah and the fact that most of the southern water tribe was gone and Sokka was kind of had to be sort of a man before he was really a man that he has all this responsibility heaped yeah. on him like there's some heavier stuff there that a Nickelodeon show even a Nickelodeon show as mature as Avatar wasn't necessarily yeah. gonna really dive into and to me that's a solid trade-off yeah like if yeah. you say okay Sokka's not going to make a bunch of jokes about how he's going to save the day and Katara can just cook the food, but he's got a lot of trauma going on because right. he's been trying to be this hero, and now this little 12-year-old kid shows up who's supposed to save the world, and he doesn't quite know where he fits in, and that's part right. of his journey. That starts to sound really interesting. Yeah, true. So Very true. I think, that, I think that there are, again, I'm right on the razor's edge on this. I mm. could watch this when it comes out and go, well... They fucked that up. <laughs> or I could go, oh, okay, this is really interesting. This is yeah. delving into some stuff that uh, that they didn't get to do in the show, but I think feels authentic and right for the characters. So yeah. that's really going to be the test of, of this live action series. Yeah, and moving on to talk a little bit more, um, because this is a massive interview. You guys can read it on IGN. There's also, as I said, the secondary interview with the actors on Entertainment Weekly. Uh, and uh, Albert Kim was also asked about the process with mimicking the first season uh, and uh, they knew that they were going to get to the Northern water tribe by the end of the season. So we're seeing that the Northern water tribe is becoming much more of an element of this as we go to the end of the season, but it was mapping out the route here uh, and uh, seeing some characters show up in this uh, first season of the live action interpretation that didn't show up until the second season. Like we've got Azula, the fire Lord Ozai are apparently a part of this as well. Uh, and then they talked about the fact that it is it is that the, they were making a serialized drama here and then Aang will not go on many detours looking for adventures like riding the elephant koi. Quote, we essentially gave him this vision of what's going to happen. And he says, I have to get to the Northern Water Tribe to stop this from happening. So whereas season one was much more, from what I understand here, adventures of the week. This is very much more of a linear approach to this story heading towards an ultimate goal knowing where he has to go. So do you like that as a change here? Do you understand the change as a showrunner? What are your thoughts on this? I, I do, actually. So okay. here's the thing about Avatar that's really funny. I have told countless people that they have to go watch Avatar and Korra because it is one of my favorite animated series of all time. Right. And there are certain animated shows that when I tell my grown-up friends to go watch them, they watch them and they're like, holy shit, I watched the first episode and I was in. Avatar, more often than not, I tell people to watch it and they start watching it, and I get a text about a week later, like, I've watched, like, five or six episodes. It's cute, but it just kind of feels like each week is its own little thing. Like, what? I don't really get a sense, and I'm like, just get to the Northern Water Tribe. <laughs> get to the Northern Water Tribe, and then you're off to the races. And I think with Avatar, and I, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this because this happens a lot in kids' programming. Look, yeah. that creative team on Avatar came in and had a big story to tell. And I think Nickelodeon executives were like, that's cool. We're doing a kid's show. We want episodes of the week. Right. And right, so a right, lot right. of book one is just these episodes of the week. Book two and book three are not. 
Right. Book two and book three are just straight up serialized shows. Like it is off to the races. And like every person that I know, once they get to the Northern Water Tribe at the end of book one, they're like, oh, I got there and I finished the rest of the series in two days. I just yeah. stayed at home and watched all of it. I couldn't stop watching it. So I think that those those episodes of the week, even though some of them are delightful and I love them and they're really fun and it's part of the humor and the charm of Avatar, when you're doing a big series and you know that you don't have as many episodes and you know that you've got to get to the Northern Water Tribe, that's where yeah. things really, really take off. Yeah. I think it makes sense that you're not going to do it. And so a big piece, and I think this is like, and you, you, know, you sort of reference it here, a big piece of book one is... Aang knows he has this destiny. Mm. He's a little iffy on wanting to deal with it. And he's been in a block of ice for 100 years and he just wants to go have some fun. So he sort of is meandering while Katara and Sokka are like, uh, we got to go, we got to go. I think kind of giving season one in the live action series a bit more of an older, uh, heavier, more dramatic, like we've mm. got to do this. Yeah. Um, while still having a lot of the key moments. Like when you look at that new tra that trailer that came out, yeah. like I said, when we reviewed it, you yeah. know, you see Jet, you see the Blue Spirit, you see the Kyoshi Warriors, you see those characters that you're like, well, you've got to be there. Yeah. And then there's some other episodes where you're like, that was a fun episode, but if that character didn't show up, it's not going to upset the serialized nature of the show. Mm. Along the same lines, bringing in Azula earlier, bringing in Ozai in a bigger way, uh, seeing the Agni Kai seeing the genocide of the airbending nation, like seeing some of these things that you never actually got to see in the animated right. series because it's heavier, because it's darker. Um, I think those are the right moves. Like this, the whole, the whole example they give of, you know, this is a remix, not a, yeah. uh, not a cover. Was that what they said? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's the right move. I think that as much as we all love the original Avatar, it's kind of like, and you bring this up very often, my absolute hatred of the of the live-action Lion King. <laughs> the live-action Lion King is a shot-for-shot -shot remake of the animated movie. Yeah. I love the animated movie. I don't need a shot-for-shot -shot remake, which is why that movie is a garbage movie. But uh, I think it's the same thing here. If they did a live action avatar and it was literally exactly what I could see when I watched Nickelodeon, I don't have a reason for being. That's true. If you're going to do yeah. a show that's going to go into some of the darker elements and it's going to really blow things out, that starts to go, okay, well then this is a great compliment. I can always go back to the original, but this gave me this or this dealt yeah. into this or bringing in Azula earlier meant that we got to see this kind of relationship. That's the thing that I think fans want to see. It's a gamble, but if it pays off, I think, uh, well, we'll all, we'll all reap the benefits. Yeah. So we will yeah. see. We'll see. We're only days away, 20 days away from it coming out uh, for us to take a look at and have some fun with for sure. So we will see. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to jump into some trailers here and uh, we'll be right back right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, that one I got. I got really excited about that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you're up. Go ahead. 
All right, trailers, trailers. There's only two buddies, so we got two trailers for you today. But the first one, which came out earlier this week, was our first full trailer uh, for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, uh, the sequel to Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, This trailer gave us a lot more information about what we are going to see and who we're going to see in this brand new Ghostbusters adventure. Um, we yep. got a lot of the original cast from Ghostbusters Afterlife returning. We got McKenna Grace, Paul Rudd, Film Wolfhard, Carrie Coon returning, as well as what looks like bigger roles for our three remaining Ghostbusters who are alive, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie Hudson. We also have Kumal Nagiani, Patton Oswalt, uh, Emily Allen Lynn starring, Annie Potts is back as Janine Melnitz, and William Atherton returns as yeah. everybody's favorite dick. Walter Peck. Um, I got to tell you, before I go to Johnny to hear what he thought about this trailer, I just have to say there are times movie movie trailers from like movies, beloved movies get their reboot or their requels. Mm -hmm. And I go, man, this just feels like a nostalgia play. This just feels like you're playing on my nostalgia. And I don't even know if it's going to be a big movie with this trailer. I don't even care if it is a nostalgia (laughs) play. I got so excited watching this trailer. Every little eight-year-old Michael Vogel bone in my body was screaming. I just love the Ghostbusters and seeing them back in the city, seeing Janine, like Bill Murray walking in and being like, Melnitz in the suit. Like (laughs) I was very excited by absolutely everything in this trailer. But Johnny, what do you think of the trailer for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire? Well, I got to watch both of them because there's an international trailer that's out as well. And the international trailer has a lot more of the story and of the darker elements of the story, which I was really surprised to see. They were hinted at in the trailer that we got here domestically, which I liked. And it was great to see William Atherton back. Um, This feels very much like they're focusing on the Ghostbusters of old and Paul Rudd and Carrie Coon. There wasn't a lot with Finn Wolfhard. There wasn't a lot with um, uh, Grace McKenna. So I was really surprised by the approach. And when you watch the international trailer, they're barely in it as well. So I wonder if maybe they felt, look, we've got to hook them back in with the nostalgia and these old school Ghostbusters. We don't want to make it a their movie, but clearly we want people to know that they're a part, a bigger part of the movie than they were in the last movie. And that seems to be working because the universal feeling from what I saw from a lot of people was this is the kind of Ghostbusters they've been waiting for. So there's obviously going to still be a, a lot of room for Finn Wolfhard and McKenna Grace to do their thing and the other younger actors. But it's it's clear that they're focusing on the little bit older actors to get people into the theaters to enjoy this thing. It's kind of like a family experience. So to me, I'm a, I love this. And it, listen, the first Ghostbusters is kind of dark. I mean, it isn't like... A happy-go-lucky oh. romp. It's pretty dark. So the fact that they're bringing that element back to this, I think, is is exciting uh, uh, for me on so many levels. Oh, listen, I have talked about this a lot in life. I've talked about this at Hasbro as an executive. Yeah. I've talked about this in some in some writers' rooms. People forget this about Ghostbusters, and you know when we talk about the Ghostbusters reboot with uh with the ladies mm-hmm. that uh that a lot of people disliked. A lot of people are like, oh, well, the fans didn't like it because it was women. And I don't think that's the problem. The thing so that people forget about Ghostbusters is that the the ghost part of the movie in the original Ghostbusters is treated as very dark. Yes. That Gozer story is yeah. dark. 
there are scary moments. Yeah. Those death dogs are fucking. When I was a kid, that was scary. So <laughs> it was. It freaked me out when those things. Yeah. When that thing is chasing Rick Moranis through Central Park, like I was peeing in my pants. You kidding me? <laughs> so Ghostbusters was, on one hand, this very dark, very scary movie, and then you cast some of the funniest actors in Hollywood yeah. to fight the super dark thing. Yeah. And it was the really, really funny combined with legitimately scary that actually made the movie magic. I think over time, as it's been rebooted and rebooted and rebooted, they've been like, oh, Ghostbusters, it's funny. So when you watch the female Ghostbusters, a lot of the ghosts are kind of silly. Mm. And I think that's not the magic. And I think, look, yeah. I don't think Ghostbusters Afterlife was perfect, but I had a good time. Yeah. And I think that they were closer to hitting the mark because they did treat the supernatural Gozer stuff pretty seriously. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the Ghostbusters coming in at the last minute was a little schmaltzy, even though I did like the Egon moment, so it wasn't worth But I, But I agree with kind of what you're saying, that this movie feels, again, like it's got the balance right. Like, yeah. I don't know who that giant frozen horned thing is. Yeah, at the end, yeah, yeah. But it looks scary. Like, the ghost stuff looks legitimately creepy and ghosty. Um... And then you've got uh, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, and Ernie Hudson. And then you got Kumal Nagiani and Paul Rudd and Patton Oswalt. So you've yeah. got some very funny people dealing with some very scary things. And I think that is the magic of Ghostbusters. And putting them back in the city, putting them back in the firehouse, putting William Atherton there as like yeah. the, I don't believe the Ghostbusters. And like it just, it's, t and, and bringing Janine back. Like it's just ticking all those boxes that you're like, yeah, this feels right. So I. I'm very excited uh, for this movie, and we will find out if they did get it right yeah. uh, on March 22nd when it hits theaters. I like what you say. Nostalgia cash grab, you can sense that. This isn't that. This is nostalgia that's done in a new and in ingenious way, and it's Hopefully. working. 100%. Yeah, well, Hopefully. Fair. Hopefully, yes. That certainly looks that way. Let's move on to our second trailer here. As you said, trailers, trailers, and this one is for the Ministry of ungentlemanly warfare. Look at these swarthy, good-looking <laughs> men here. Um, this one oh, God, it's like a gay bar in Silver Lake. Look at that. <laughs> this is directed by Guy Ritchie, set World War II. This is based on actual, real files, declassified files of the British War Department, which told of a secret band of military officials formed by Prime Minister Winston Churchill, who you see in the trailer. It's a top-secret combat unit composed of rogues and mavericks that go on a daring mission against the Nazis using entirely unconventional and utterly ungentlemanly fighting techniques. Ian Fleming was said to be a member of the group. Uh, and this film, as you can see, stars uh, Henry Cavill, Alan Richardson, Isaac Gonzalez, Alex Pettifer, Hero finds Tiffin because, I mean, the finds aren't talented enough. Babs, I cannot say Babs' last name. So hard from uh, Star Trek uh, uh, Strange New Worlds. Ola Sumukin, I hope I got that right. Uh, Henrik Zaga, uh, Till Schweiger with Henry Golding and Carrie Elwes. So, Michael, this is a, a interesting one that came out of nowhere. I did a trailer reaction for it because this is just up my alley. What did you think of this particular uh, trailer and, and what looks to be a film here? This one was a funny one because I watched the trailer and I was like, well, this could go either way. <laughs> um, I know it's based on real events, but it definitely has sort yeah. of an inglorious bastards kind oh, of like, you know, like, like there's just yeah. very much like here's some people like the fun of this movie is we're going to watch a bunch of guys who are just fucking 
doing their own thing. Yeah. Go beat up on some Nazis. Like go beat up on some Germans. Like let's just go beat up some people. And you're like, okay, that looks fun. Um, you know what it really boils down to is, and this is, y'all are going to hate me. Y'all are going to hate me for this. <laughs> yes. I don't think Henry Cavill has ever done it for me. What? This, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it now because wow. I was watching this trailer and, and it's not to say that I dislike him. Wow. I don't dislike Henry Cavill. I don't think Henry Cavill's a bad actor. Okay. I think Henry Cavill's very good, but at first I thought maybe it was just a man of steel. I don't like what Zack Snyder did. Mm-hmm. But then it was like everybody in the Mission, Mission Impossible was like, oh, like I could just drool over him all day. And I was like, yeah, he did the muscle thing. It was cool. And like just in every movie that he's been in or on The Witcher or whatever, I'll watch it. And everybody on my timeline is like, you know, sweating over Henry Cavill. And he's the sexiest guy. Did you see Henry Cavill fix his computer? That's everything I want in a man. <laughs> like everybody's doing their thing. And I'm like, yeah. Okay just doesn't do it for me so this trailer is like i think if i was like drooling over henry cavill i'd be like sign me up but i'm kind of like yeah this looks fun it could go either way it's either going to be a lot of it and again i'll just use the example because you just you i saw you're out of trailer reaction but it's kind of like argyle oh yeah uh well like (laughs) argyle looked argyle looked high on style but based on you and a bunch of other people i don't know that i'm rushing out to theaters to see it that's fair. And nor should you, for God's sakes. Um, uh, but so that that being said, I mean, this trailer does look a lot of fun. It, it has that Inglorious Bastards kind of vibe. It could be great. But like this one, I kind of watched and I was like, okay, yeah, maybe. This is absolutely a Roka McClung special on Saturday afternoon. This is this is what it's we like go Thor get. Thor 2, you just leave me out of it. It'll be great. Well, I mean, it just seems like your approach, you know. But uh, you don't like Cavill, so even more so. But we, we would get a couple of pints get a little booze, get a little drunk, and then get into the theater and have fun watching this movie and maybe have a drink afterwards talking about it. But yes, this is my this is my jam. You know it's my a, jam. A bunch of guys get A couple pints. What's that? A couple pints. Have you seen McClung? I, well, Three not quarters of a pint. Three quarters of a pint and he oh. can't walk in a straight line. Oh, nowadays. Oh, right. Yes, of course. No, that's a fair point. I think we're in that boat together. Um, but yeah, this this is my jam. This is my jam. You get a bunch of motley motherfuckers together. This is like four stand from Navarone or Guns of Navarone, as you said, in Glorious Bastards. Uh, even elements of Munich, because right, they're coming together to kill yeah. people who are terrible. So like, and even Expendables. You could even say there's Expendables vibe to this as well. Oh, but for sure. Such a great collection of actors that I'm excited to see. Do you think? I mean, this is a British thing. Is Alan Richson going to attempt a British accent or is he going to be silent? Because he doesn't say a word in the whole trailer. Uh, and I love the Henry tongue, tongue uh, the Henry Cavill tongue out all the whole time. What, what are your thoughts? He really just has that tongue out for the whole yes. Every time he shoots that, he's like, ah. And again, I'm like, okay. Miley Cyrus. Okay, we'll yes, I'm sure. But yeah. What are your thoughts on Do you think Richson will get a British accent? What do you think? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, uh, uh, we'll see. Um, I'm in the same I, boat. I'm like, Maybe I don't know. There's probably a reason he was quiet in the trailer. <laughs> uh, so we will see. But this one is coming out here. Where's the date? Sorry about this, guys. Here's the date. I've got the date here. So it comes out on uh, April 19th. So we're not that far away, but April is coming up around the corner. Uh, some time for it to come. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll jump into our main topic here, jumping into uh, Supergirl and everything involved with DC currently right now. We'll be right back right after this. 
I appreciate you doing it because I know it's begrudgingly. You're doing it begrudgingly, but I appreciate you doing the music. You know what? <laughs> just got to fill that gap. We just got to yeah. fill that gap while he's that tiny gap. I mean, uh, around a beach. I know, eating, right? I, I, I almost drinking, put a picture drinking on. a fruity drink and tripping over himself. <laughs> Climbing a tree to get Jamie a coconut. Like, I don't know what they're doing. You can see him climbing a tree going, ugh. Like, oh. No, 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 I can climb it. I can climb it. I'm good. I'm good. I got it. I got it. Shannon, how'd you break your arm on your honeymoon? Uh, there was a coconut. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Let's move on to DC here. <laughs> it was announced just a few days ago um, that Millie Alcock is officially Supergirl. Uh, this is, uh, you know, James Gunn posted it and a number of sources broke it as well before James posted it. But it is official. She will be Supergirl. She beat out Meg Donnelly um, and Amelia Jones, who um, uh, my co-host on the hot mic kind of suggested that maybe she didn't want to read for the role. It didn't it felt that her her uh, work spoke for itself, so to speak. But from what we get from Variety, they said that multiple actors were flown to Atlanta for, quote, old fashioned on screen auditions. They were there on the set of the new Superman legacy film, which is ready to start shooting there in March. They apparently put on the Supergirl suit and boots for the audition, and it was very close. People felt that McDonnelly might have the upper hand because of having voiced Supergirl, but Gunn felt that um, he wanted to move away from that earnest Girl Scout depictions of the character. That's what Variety's reporting, and wanted someone who had a bit more edginess to them uh based on what we get in super supergirl the woman of tomorrow um and a year ago he had said that he was uh kind of looking at millie alcock so this seemed to be more like i just want to make sure i'm right rather than an honest competition uh and in the end millie got it so let's deal with that uh, and and let me ask you this because i want to add to this matthew vaughn was asked about this because of course he's got that argyle film out and he was, ta- he was asked about the uh, Millie Alcock situation. He said, I'm a huge fan of Millie Alcock. Met with her for this other project we were working on. She turned me down, which was sad. She's a fabulous actress. Then again, I do find it very weird that they haven't got a director. That surprised me because you shouldn't cast a movie. The director should be casting the movie. I don't understand who cast it if there isn't a director. So, Michael, your thoughts on Millie Alcock being Supergirl and then Matthew Vaughn's comments? Well, when we spoke about this last week, yeah. I just said, and I might have been wrong, but I don't think so, mm. um, you know, that that James Gunn was casting her because she was going to show up in Superman Legacy. Now, when James Gunn was specifically asked about that online, yeah. his response was, I never said she was in Superman Legacy, mm. which is a very James Gunn thing to do. And it yes. falls under the category of James Gunn, stop responding to things on social media. <laughs> yes. Because it just begs the question, like... Yeah. If if she is in Superman Legacy, then James Gunn getting to cast her actually makes sense, and he's sort of putting her in his movie, and then whoever is going to pick up the Supergirl, yeah. Woman of Tomorrow storyline is like, okay, well, this is who she is in this universe. This is what you're running with. If she's not in Superman Legacy, yeah. then casting the lead before you have the director does start to fall into that category of this is what everybody was worried about with James Gunn running the DC Universe, which yeah. is he's a director, he's good at casting, so he's going to go ahead and do stuff, but like, are directors going to want to come work on DC movies if you have a Kevin Feige-type character who's maybe a little bit more in the kitchen than he should be? Mm. Yeah. Um, and so that's really, that, that's what begs the question. So I kind of hope for James Gunn's sake 
that Millie Alcock is in Superman Legacy because that yeah. kind of puts it to bed. It's kind of yeah. like, okay, cool. I yeah. get it. Like, anybody who wants to do, if there's a Guy Gardner movie in the in the works, Nathan Fillion's going to be Guy Gardner. Right. Because he's in the movie. Like, that, we all understand how an extent, how a big expanded universe works. But if she's not, it does start to get into a little bit of a great territory. Now, the fact that it's, the fact that it's Millie Alcock, I think, is great. Yeah. Uh, I think it was kind of hers to lose. I don't know that it was an unfair audition process. I think even though James Gunn wanted her, there was probably a lot of cooks in that kitchen, a lot of people at Warner Brothers that were like, well, let's just see as many people as possible if we're going to do this. And and he won out. Um, But I think, again, and we've talked about this a lot, but given the subject matter, which, again, if you've not read, I highly recommend you go read because it's real, real good. Uh, she just kind of, you read the first five pages of that comic book and you're going to be like, yeah, it's, it's her. She's, yeah. she's, she's, she's the one. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, I'm going to be picking up. I ordered it at Barnes and Noble. It's uh, coming in tomorrow. So I'll be getting it. Tomorrow. You're going to like it. It's really, I mean, look, yeah. I think Tom King, Tom King is like, um, to me today, what Brian Michael Bendis, what, what Brian Michael Bendis still is, yeah. but what Brian Michael Bendis was about like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where like, if Brian Michael Bendis's name was on a comic, yeah, I was reading the comic, yeah. it was gonna be great. Tom King, uh, his Vision series, his Adam Strange series, everything he did on Batman, mm. uh, best Batman stories of the past decade, and then Superman, Woman of Tomorrow. Like he, everything he writes is pretty much A plus comic book stuff. Okay, okay, well I'm looking forward to it for sure. Yeah, and, and I hear Matthew Vaughn's comments, although Matthew now with the, uh these latest Kingsman movies and this movie, Argyle, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe your opinion has a little less weight than you think. And him outing Hattie Jenkins for not wanting Gal Gadot initially, like, uh, I just thought, I don't know why you're talking. Like, just relax. I mean, it's like we were saying earlier. Yeah. In the world that we live in today with social <laughs> media, people are going to continue to say shit that they just shouldn't say. Yeah. Um, I, and I agree with everything you say, although I don't think in this specific case what Matt Vaughn yeah. is saying is actually wrong, which is... Again, if yeah. she's not in Superman Legacy, you're kind of casting another director's movie a yeah. little bit, which yeah. as the architect of the DC universe, you sort of have the right to do, but maybe best for all of your creative relationships that you have a director in the room for that. Again, if she's in Superman yeah. Legacy, no issue. So interesting to see. What are your thoughts about directors? Like there have been people who there's been names thrown about like Greta Gerwig, Emerald Fennel, Kate Heron, who did Loki. Steph Green, who did some episodes of The Mandalorian uh, and other Star Wars stuff, Bryce Dallas Howard, Adele Lim, who did uh, um, uh, wrote Crazy Rich Asians and jo- and directed Joyride, uh, Emma Seligman, who did the recent uh, Bottoms film and also Shiva Baby. So what are your thoughts on any of the directors? What do, does, does anything come to mind to you? Like, does any director feel right in your mind? Like, okay, this one. Yeah, definitely. What are your thoughts? There's no one that is specifically like, this is it, but I think yeah. that Again, tone is a question because again, right. like I'm only basing this on what I know from the comic. And as we've seen with Marvel movies and lots of stuff, like adapting a comic book to a, a movie universe isn't a one-to-one. You're gonna right. sort of take the elements of it and tell a story. So the Superman Woman of Tomorrow story is very heavy, very mm. dark, very big on fantasy and sci-fi. Uh, and the Supergirl character is like, uh, you know, going through some stuff. Yeah. And so I think I would lean less on a comedic director 
and more on sort of someone who's really tackled some heavier, big visual effects, like a Bryce Dallas Howard. Like some of these, some of these, some of these female direct. First of all, female director. Yeah. Just full stop. Period. Yeah. But also, like, uh, I think that a female director who has dealt with directing some things that were in pretty big universes with pretty mm. big visual effects um, yeah. challenges. Because I think that's going to be a really, really big piece of this. Like, I don't know if the entire movie is going to take place off planet the way the comic book does, mm. or if it's going to be partially that and then partially kind of something different. But um, kind of similarly to what we were saying about Avatar, like the yeah. comic book itself goes to a lot of different planets. It's sort of a meandering. This this issue is an adventure on this planet. Mm. This issue, they went to this planet and it had a red sun and then this happened, but then this person was chasing them. and is this movie going to be a planet to planet adventure or they kind of take the spirit of this and kind of put it into its own story, but either way, massive visual effects. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Be, be able to work with that. Yeah. It'd be yeah. good to see for sure. Uh, so let's move on to some more of this DC news here. Uh, James Gunn also posted um, a uh, post on uh, Instagram marking the one year anniversary. Mike, can you believe it's one year since we watched that uh, interview of his live and his announcement well, kind of crazy to think about but uh he was marking the one-year anniversary of the announcement of the revamped dc universe and he said that episodes of the animated creature commandos series are being finished to air this year superman legacy is starting to film in march and then he dropped this nugget he said that at least two more projects are gearing up to go in the next couple of months amazing scripts keep coming in and incredible talent are being attached to new projects planned and unplanned and uh in a subsequent response to someone on threads because he can't stay off the goddamn social media he asked if the strikes have shaken up their chapter one and he said some things have shifted around some projects now earlier others later and other new projects are being developed so michael what do you think the two new projects could be do you think a second season of peacemaker and supergirl because as you said they're casting her so quickly they're they haven't even started shooting superman legacy yet it seems to imply that she's going to appear in Superman Legacy, and then her film might be next. Or do you think the Brave and the Bold is in uh, is in uh, conversation here, or something else uh, from uh, DC? Creature Commandos for sure, yeah. as he said, which I'm excited about. Uh, yeah. I'm really curious to see how it is and how it stacks up, and you know, the whole introducing characters in animation that are eventually going to be tied into live action stuff. I think is a really cool way to launch things yeah yeah um so i'm just i'm i'm really keen on i want to see more like i want to see what the animation style is i want to see what the vibe is so i'm really excited about that uh we know superman legacy uh the peacemaker season two probably okay. like is one of these things like they he loves peacemaker season one ended a while ago i'm sure yeah. they've been developing it i'm sure those scripts exist I don't know if he's I, this isn't really part of the dc his dc universe but i don't know if he's talking about penguin Oh, good point. Oh, like maybe. Penguin is out there that was right. shooting. Right. It was about halfway, not nah, maybe a little less than, but it was it was well into production. Some of yeah. those episodes were done, um, but then they kind of paused, and that's coming back. And all I hear is amazing stuff. Yes. All yes. I hear is through the roof. It's awesome. Um, so even though that's not part of his DC universe, yeah, maybe that's part of what he's talking about. Um, but I think. I think Supergirl, I think two things. I think Supergirl Legacy is, I mean, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow is clearly happening soon. Either, mm. whether you're just in, 
back what I was saying before. If she's in Superman Legacy yeah. and we're introducing her, then giving her a new a, her movie pretty soon after that makes sense. Yeah. If she's not in Superman Legacy, which then you get the James Gunn director issue, but then they're still casting her right now, so they must be getting ready to move soon. Like it you're not going like, to announce all yeah. that. Now yeah. the other piece of it is though, to your point, and I do wonder with all of the announcements on Superman Legacy and all we know, we've got Hot Girl, we've got the Engineer, we've got Metamorpho, we've got Guy Gardner, we got Superman, Lois, Jimmy, yeah. Lex, we got everybody. No Bruce Wayne. <laughs> no Batman yet. And like, if we're, and like, we've got, we, you know, yeah. we've got the brave and the bold here. We've got a brand new Batman dealing with Damien Wayne, his son as the new Robin. Everyone is kind of very, I'd say curious and a little bit excited about that. It's a new take on Batman that we haven't seen before. Yeah. We're going to see Batman show up. We're going to see Bruce Wayne in this universe. Even he if was- it's just a tag at the end, like, he was asked on social media that if if the Brave and the Bold is going to be released before Matt Reeves finishes his Batman trilogy, and he said yes. So there's the people keep thinking that he's going to move over Robert Pattinson at some point, and I don't actually think that's going to happen. Matt Reeves I, with the Penguin and with his universe, that's going to be separate. But eventually, people are going to compare Mike because if he if he casts a Batman, goes to Brave and Bold. They're going to be like, well, which Batman do we like the most? And that's not what you want when you're WB, man. I mean, we talked about this last week with the Sony Marvel fighting over Spider-Man 4 thing. And I think that as much as Sony wants to take one of the Spider-Men and put them in their movies, uh, I I think that kind of for Marvel and for a lot of people, like having two Spider-Men simultaneously gets, it, it, it does exactly what you said. Like, it's so messy. now we got Tom Holland over here. We got Andrew Garfield over here. They're both existing at the same time. I think Warner Brothers is absolutely gearing up for the exact same problem. Yeah. And I don't think they're moving Robert Pattinson over. I don't no. think Robert Pattinson, his version of Bruce Wayne, his version of Batman, Matt Reeves' version of Gotham, there's no, my 10-year-old son is running around because he's a ninja killing people. Like, it's just not, right, it's just right. two different vibes. Those vibes don't match. <laughs> so I don't think Robert Pattinson is moving over to be brave in the bold Batman. Like, yeah, I yeah. just don't, I don't see how that creatively pleases anybody. Yeah. So I do think they are gearing up to have two different um, Batman kind of coexisting at the same time, which... Right is going to be a gamble because I think you're right. There's inevitable comparisons. I think the vibes will be different, but at the end of the day, Batman's Batman. Yeah. You can turn it into Twilight series, Team Jacob or Team Edward. That's what it'll be. Yeah. See which Team Batman are you? Uh, one last thing. One last thing, uh, and, we'll and we'll wrap up the show because I know we're at an hour. Um, John Murphy was announced as the composer for Superman Legacy. Mike, are you excited about this? He did the um, uh, music for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the holiday special, The Suicide Squad. He also worked on Guy Ritchie stuff like Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch and also did 28 Days Later and Kick-Ass. So do you like this as a choice? Does it give you an idea of the energy and the vibe that this film might be considering the things that he has composed before? Or is it just his James Gunn connection that got him the job? James Gunn loves him. Yeah. Um, His scores are good. Yeah. His scores are good, but there's nothing... <clears throat> as someone who is a tried and true score whore, yeah. those are all... Everything you listed is solid. Like, I think he's going to do a solid job, but he's not. And maybe this is his, maybe this is his moment. You know, you get to do Superman, you're like stepping up to the plate, but nothing. And anybody in the comments can absolutely prove me wrong and throw me a track. 
and I will happily listen to it and be like, well, fuck me, I'm wrong, that was amazing. But nothing uh, that I can think of kind of rises to that holy shit iconic level. Like, look, again, I pick on Man of Steel endlessly, but oh. Hanzi, Hanzi brought the heat. Like that Hansi brought the sport. heat because Hansi always brings. And, and Hansi brought the heat there. Yeah. Even though what he did with Nolan with the Batman movies is a little bit more like wah, wah, wah. It works. Like it's iconic. So um, we'll see. But I mean, this is this is any composer's probably dream and nightmare. Yeah. Like like scoring a Superman film has to be a little bit like holy shit, this is my big opportunity. Holy shit, I'm following after John Williams. Like, I don't know what to do here. So it'll be interesting to see. And Hans Zimmer. Don't be... And Hansi. And Hansi, too. Don't be, you know. Yeah, because I was listening to the Gia Kino score the other day for the Batman. That's a fucking great score, man. So, like, this, yeah. is, the, this is the level you're playing. This is the level you're playing at, John. So can you step up to the plate, John Murphy? We shall see. Um, all right, well, there you go. That's our episode of the Geek Bodies. Thank you all so much for hanging out with us. We appreciate it madly. Michael, do you know what we have to tell our, our people here again? Can you tell them? I always know what we have to tell our people. Yeah, right. Also, it's on screen, so I can just read it. <laughs> if you would like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at geek underscore buddies. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. You can follow Mr. Roca at the Roca says. You can follow me at MKTune. And after you do all of that following, you can also smash that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the amazing content he's got. Leave your comments below. What do you think of the upcoming Harry Potter series, the upcoming Avatar series, the upcoming Ghostbusters sequel, the upcoming Harry Cavill sticks his tongue out movie, and what do you think of everything going on in the DC universe? Let us know your comments below. If you're listening to us on a podcast, go ahead and leave us uh, some comments and some stars so we go up in the rankings. And as always, the best thing you can do is retweet this video, post it on your social, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. There you go. As always, we appreciate you all madly. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Go and see a movie. Enjoy something from the world of superheroes or geekdom. And we'll be back next week with another brand new episode here of the Geek Buddies. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.